Yay! Yay! <laughs> little claps, little squiggles. Yay! Little squiggles, <laughs> squiggles everywhere. <laughs> And I'm Ronnie Sullivan. And welcome to Sisteria, a podcast about women and non-binary creatives and their experiences creating and consuming arts and culture. This week, for our first episode back. Woohoo! Yay! Season two, bitches! Season two! (laughs) Very exciting. It's been a long time coming and we're super, super pumped to share our first episode with you featuring freelance writer Michelle Law. Michelle writes for print film and television and theatre. Her films are screened on the ABC and at film festivals locally and abroad. Her debut play, Single Asian Female, has been staged to sold-out audiences in Sydney and Brisbane. Homecoming Queens, the web series which she co-created, co-wrote and stars in, is available now on SBS On Demand. She's currently working on the feature film adaptation of Alice Pung's young adult novel, Lorinda. Michelle joined us a few weeks ago now on the back of her trip to Los Angeles. So, of course, we talked all things Hollywood, which included Beyonce because duh, and her experiences in The Simpsons writing room. I just still can't believe it. And, of course, we had to talk about her adorable cat, Bean. So, please enjoy the episode. Was it weird commissioning of, like, a picture so I got my my friend who well she's a friend now because I just sort of poached her because um I think they call that commissioning (laughs) (laughs) well yeah I poached her because she my friend's partner runs an illustration design agency and I remember seeing her work Arian Chapman and just being like yeah I really love her aesthetic Mm. and she's done amazing like corporate stuff as well like she's done things like Schweppes and things like that um so I just asked her if she could make something and I gave her a concept for what I wanted and then she just banged something together super quickly and yeah I just used it on the website and my business cards as well and it's she captured the irony (laughs) very well I love it (laughs) draw me like one of your French girls (laughs) (laughs) well I was just like this is what I look like and this is the sort of I was like oh I don't want a website illustration that's just me sitting at it you know being serious or a pen and a pencil Mm. and a typewriter type of thing like I felt like that's been done a million times before so I was like yeah just something that's a bit stupid and silly but not like giant head small body caricature (laughs) level I've had one of those done before actually when I lived in Port Arlington my partner and I and because the guy drawing it thought that my boyfriend looked a lot like Harry Potter because he's got the glasses he's got like the Harry Potter wand in a whole bunch what? yeah it's very strange that's it's on bizarre. our fridge if you ever want to come around and help oh me. that's interesting yeah have you ever had a weird portrait drawn of you no you looked at us so no I hate those ones they're so funny they're awful yeah it's like that's I want to know why. how people see me but know? just your tone you were <laughs> like I'm not judging oh, sorry yeah, very no. judging yeah. that is so beneath me yeah but it's that's why because it's like ridiculous every time I look at it it makes me laugh I'm like I sat there Uh, Should we ask Michelle about herself? Well, well, I am. I'm asking about the This is relevant. It is relevant. I haven't had a caricature, I don't think. I think uh, I was in LA recently and me and my friend went and did the Warner Brothers tour. Mm -hmm. And we went because we mainly wanted to go to the Friends set and sit on the central couch. 
And I, for some reason, just sat on the couch by myself. And it was just like a fine photo. And then, like, it came up at the end and it was like, do you want to buy this? And I was like, <laughs> I was like oh, this is really grim. Hello, darkness. Yeah, truly. Me. So I didn't get it. I got the one of us sitting together and looking happy with our mugs. Friends, not oh, like, friendless. I got roasted by my mom on Instagram. <laughs> Because she was just like, where are your, all your friends on the friend set? And I was like, it's a good question. <laughs> Jenny, she got me good. Yeah. So you have just been in LA. But is it yeah. stuff that you're working on going forward or is it potential it's confidential? Projects? Is it confidential? Oh, no. Do we get the scoop? <laughs> Tell us we get well, the scoop. Well, two. There were a couple of reasons why me and my friend Corey went. The first was that we actually bought tickets to Beyonce and Jay-Z. I saw that and I like threw my phone across the other side of the room and was like, I can't, I don't, if you weren't going to bring it up, I wasn't going to bring it up. Yeah, no. Okay, I'm going to get emotional, but (laughs) go. Well, I mean, uh, I'm totally fine. Steph, you would have gone off. Like, so the concert, it was on the run tour number two, and it was basically them working through their marriage, but on stage. Mm. And it was like the theatrics of it. Hold it. Like, I don't know if it's an act, if it is like kudos to them mm-hmm. um, for earning so it much It really money. doesn't matter, right? No, it truly doesn't matter. The merch was terrible, by the way. Just really disappointing. And overpriced. Overpriced and just something I could like make myself on Redbubble. Mm. The concert itself was incredible. It was at the Rose Bowl, which is this huge stadium that seats like 100,000 plus people. Is that in LA? Yeah. And the show was basically, first it opened with DJ Khaled. DJ Khaled was there and then he brought out like all of these other people out and one of them was P. Diddy's son and his name was was Keith. <laughs> <laughs> and, and did he introduce him as like, this is P. Diddy's yeah, son no, Keith? No, he was just like, Keith Combs. <laughs> and so Keith comes out and he's like this 18-year-old rapper and he's really bad. And you can tell that he's so nervous because it's like the, it's Beyonce and Jay-Z that he's opening mm. for. And his name's Keith. And, and he's got there by nepotism. Keith. Yeah, and he got there by nepotism. But, you know, he tried his hardest. So that was really weird that it opened with that stuff. But then they came out and the crowd was just going nuts because they would – they did, they did all their bangers, like, from the 90s. Um, they did Bonnie and Clyde. They mm. did, like, 99 Problems and, like, some of Destiny's Child that Beyonce sort of just mashed up. But then all of the rest of the concert was them working through their marriage. So Beyonce would sing this ballad about how Becky was, like, half the woman that she was. I've seen there's, like, a super cut of that online because she gives shade every time and I love yeah. it. It's slightly different kinds of shade. Yeah. Guys, we're, we're really going deep here. And then Jay-Z <laughs> would come out immediately after and respond to her through his own song, basically saying, like, I don't deserve your forgiveness. I will True. never deserve you. Yeah, I was going to say not wrong. Yeah, which is not wrong. And you know in the crowd when you're there, everyone's really just there to see Beyonce. Yeah. yeah. So that was very emotional. Mm, yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of weed in the air because mm-hmm. it's legal there. Yes. And people were going off. So I'm pretty sure I got high just like from secondhand Contact smoke. Contact high. And it was just such a chill environment, even though it was such a massive stadium. People were just really relaxed. There was no, you know, rowdy shoving or anything like that. Everyone was just like high (laughs) (laughs) and emoting. And it was really amazing because so much of the audience were African-American. And I was just like, oh, my God, you're getting Mm. so much, like, so much from this. And it's for you. Mm. And it was amazing. And I was also there because the flights gave us triple velocity points. (laughs) 
Fair enough. <laughs> so that was one reason. But the main reason was mostly work. Um, so me and my collaborator, Corrie Chen, who's a writer and a director, uh, we wanted to go over sort of off the back of Homecoming Queens just as a, just as a team but also individually, like meeting with representation, like managers and agents. And we were also just going for generals to meet up with production companies and do like a soft pitch for um, a feature film that we'd co-written together. Mm. Um, so it's it was really also just a sense of getting what it would be like to live there, like as a, as a city itself, because I'd been there twice before but never longer than about two weeks or so. And I always just thought that LA was such a – like grim, ugly place. Mm. I think because it just reminded me of my hometown. Mm. <laughs> like you can't, it's the type of place where you can't go anywhere without driving. And I think this time around, I, maybe it was the place we were staying and also I knew a lot more people there who had moved, but it was just like I could I could see myself living there, but I don't think I'd want to be there permanently. Mm. Yeah. When you're doing showbiz related stuff in LA, does it feel like surreal? Or is it, is it kind oh. of the same as, you know, meeting with entertainment people in Australia? Yeah, on the level of a Beyonce <laughs> gig to, like, Sisteria recording, where does it sit? <laughs> oh, my God. It's so surreal because you're, like, at the Disney Studios or the Fox lot where they're making The Simpsons. And yeah, we, I need to talk to you about that. Yeah, too. oh my god! <laughs> and we went to Netflix, which is this insane building that's like fourteen levels high, and every level is Netflix. And the vibe there is sort of more Google, Facebooky. Like they're all young and techy. And the, I'm thinking of that episode of Queer Eye where they like make over <laughs> the Netflix guy. <laughs> yeah, it is. It yeah, that's the vibe. And there's this open kitchen with all these snacks that you can take and these drinks with like any kind of drink you want, and you just bring those into the meeting. And at Netflix in the lobby saw Gary Oldman and then I started sort of freaking out and then recomposed myself but then he came into our elevator no and I flipped the fuck out (laughs) and everyone was just sort of like staring straight ahead Mm. there's an emergency button is that what this is for (laughs) because I feel like that's what this is for I got so excited and then I got really bummed because later our friend was just like wait wasn't Gary Oldman a bit of a me too and we were like, oh, my God, oh, really? he was. Because he assaulted his wife. Ugh. Yeah, and I was like, great. <laughs> like uh. Now, serious black. But then the, the guy we were with was like, what a thrill to be in an elevator with an Oscar winner. And Doesn't we that were... happen all the time in LA? I know. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that's like, yeah. you know, the majority of But I'm like, serious black, stop. <laughs> just really let me down. Not Oscar winners. My yeah. friend and I play this really horrible game where it's like, who would you be most disappointed by? Mm. With the whole Me Too, Time's Up era, like minor Tom Hanks, mm. yeah, well, and Paul Rudd. Oh, that would be devastating. Well, yeah. mine would be Nick Cave because I have his name <gasps> on my arm, so that would be unfortunate. Oh, <laughs> by that, listeners, you might want to explain. Michelle's just seen my uh, Nick Cave tattoo, so yeah, it would be really um, quite devastating. So we have to talk about the Simpsons writing <laughs> oh, room. Yeah, so I'm my mate works on The Simpsons. She started working there a couple of years ago. Her name's Megan Amram. Yeah, She's like amazing. The, the Twitter queen. We know who of, Megan Amram is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I was mortified because the first time I met her like four years ago, I was calling her Megan because that's how Australians pronounce yeah. the name Megan. And then I realised her name was actually Megan and I was like... God, Megan Markle must have had a really awkward trip here. <laughs> hey, no. Hello, Megan Markle. <laughs> Megan Markle. Megan Duchess Markle. <laughs> Why do we have Cockney accents? <laughs> 
Oh, God. But it was interesting, actually, speaking of accents, because she works on The Good Place as well. And we were talking about the Australian accent thing. And she was like, yeah, we get a lot of clap back from that. And I was like, so did you just not hire Australian actors? And she's like, no, some of them were, but I think some of them were English because we're American. We can't tell the difference. Mm. (laughs) But anyway, I was in The Simpsons. um, I was in their conference room for a table read. So all the actors were there. Um, all the writers were wow. there. For and were you just like fly on the wall? Yeah, so fly on the wall. There were maybe 40 or so just members of the industry or the public who sort of just got invited along. And there were a couple of kids, which was really sweet. I rocked up and it was just like fully catered. There were like all these bagels and a fruit platter. All this free food. And like a star. We got you a like- glass of water. <laughs> Come on. I was so overwhelmed that all I did was just like make myself a tea. Like- <laughs> And it was like a Starbucks coffee machine. I was like, what the hell is this? And then we went in and I saw like Dan Costello mm. and he was still just keeping to himself. And then Yardley Smith was there and she smiled at me <gasps> and she had no, like she didn't know who I was. I was just a stranger. She was just being very friendly. Also, um, don't have to sell yourself. She might have. <laughs> she might have <laughs> seen her come in um, Julie Kavner was there and um, the only person who wasn't there was Hank Azaria because he w- lives in New York and so he was on like a there via teleconference so he was just taught it was so bizarre because Dr. Hibbert and Ned Flanders voice were just like emanating from this phone and I was like this is the most surreal moment of my life yeah but it was just incredible as well it was a Treehouse of Horror episode oh, sure. which are my favorites and it was just so surreal being in a room with people and voices that like basically raised me. (laughs) So that was probably my highlight of the trip because I was just like, I would have never imagined that just being in a room with those people. It was just I was going to say, so as someone who right now is struggling not to like try and skin you and wear your skin because I want your life so badly, like everything that you've just described is the dream. Did you ever think that you would get here? And how did you get to this point? Like if people are listening and they're interested in... Your career. Your career. Like, how did you? Oh, how do you get like free I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Part of it is just like, mm. yeah. and I think because there's always goals that you have in mind that you're working towards, it doesn't really feel like, oh, you know, at what point am I actually? But I think when I was younger, I always had a sense that I wanted to do something much bigger than what I knew, like growing up on the Sunshine Coast and feeling quite lonely because my siblings are quite a bit older than me. And then like when my parents separated, my sister who's closest in age to me went to live with my dad. And so it was just very quiet existence of like me and my mum. And I always just had this sense that I wanted to move on to do, I guess... To, for lack of a better word, like extravagant, like beyond Australia type of things. And I guess I always had that in mind from when I was a child, but then I didn't really know how to act on it, especially because I lived in like a regional town and um, there weren't really many opportunities arts-wise. Like I think I always wanted to do something in the creative sphere, even though I, I think the only other career path I would have taken would be like a vet which is probably way harder. Yeah. <laughs> like, is that just because you love animals? Oh, I really love animals, but I did biology in in high school okay. as well. So I really loved and I very oddly liked dissecting animals. Okay, yeah, no, like, too far. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're the pimple-popping person. Yeah, so yeah. I love Dr. Pimple Popper. <laughs> but then I was talking to my friend who is a vet and they were like, oh, it's actually mostly dealing with really odd people. 
Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, that would make animal sense. hoarders. Yeah, old animal hoarders and people who are very particular about their pets. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, oh yeah, and having to put animals down is like really awful. Oh god. So mm. I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't do that. So maybe you chose the right career path. Maybe. And you have a cat now. Yeah, I have a cat now, <laughs> um, which was I never thought I'd have because I was always a dog person. But we'll come back to Bean later. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah didn't really have a backup. I knew I wanted to be like an actor, a singer, or something performative. And so in my final year of high school, I was tossing up between a couple of things because I really loved visual art and drama and writing as well. And I didn't give much thought to writing. I like I knew that it was something that was. It, it could be a career worth following because my brother, who's eight years older than me, is a writer and he'd done a course at QUT in creative writing. So I was like, that looks like something that that could be legitimate for me. I don't know any other writers besides my brother, but maybe. And then I think the thing that really solidified it for me was I got my first piece published when I was just finishing grade 12 and it was because... Alice Pung was putting together an anthology called Growing Up Asian yeah. in Australia, yeah, for Black Ink. And I guess I'd never had anyone in the industry actually recognise. Like, did you submit? Like, how did that come about? I submitted because there was an open call out and I wasn't sure. Like, I'd sort of put it off and didn't really want to do it because I was studying for the QCS, which is like mm. HSC. And so I wasn't really focused on it too much and then I heard back from her and she was like oh I really love the piece and I'd love to put it in the anthology and I was just like really shocked mm-hmm. yeah and so that really gave me the confidence and I and I think a little common to a lot of people's stories is I had a very supportive English teacher and I think she recognized in me that I was very interested in reading and writing critically and she um really you know supported me and, and offered me other um, materials to look at beyond sort of the curriculum and stuff. So that really helped me develop a passion for things. Um, and then I was around the same time, she told me to read Jane Eyre, mm. which is looking back an extremely problematic novel. Mm. <laughs> but at the time I connected to it so much and I was just like, this is insane that this was written centuries ago by a woman in England. <laughs> Who was, like, completely socially isolated. Yeah. And I was just like, it's incredible that I can connect with this on such a deep level and it makes me feel so much less alone. Mm. And I was like, I'd really love to do even, like, a small part of that for someone else. Um, And so I went and I left school and went to study creative writing at university. I was doing that for three years and I was enrolled to do honours. And then my supervisors were like, oh, maybe you should just go out for a year and just come back when you're ready because a lot of people tend to burn out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I did. And then I just never went back. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, bye. (laughs) And around the same time, I sort of fell into screenwriting because I got in, I I was very lucky in that I got asked to write on this show that was sort of pitched as like the Australian version of Skins. But was not. <laughs> what was, does, was it, does it exist? Or no. did it oh, it did. Yeah, concept? it was on Fox. So I never watched it because I couldn't afford cable. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was called Slide. So yeah, because that sounds kind of that sounds like right up my alley. <laughs> it was, and of, I've never. <laughs> yeah, it was like a PG version of Skins. Right. Uh, well, well, that's that's well, the whole yeah. point. Yeah. 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 I know. But still, cool opportunity. I yeah. jump at that. So yeah. I started working on that show, and then I think that's when I realized that I really enjoyed writing performative stuff and writing for screen and um, you know TV or film. 
because at the same time I was getting a lot of pressure from publishers to write a book. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I started writing a manuscript. What do then- they want from you? <laughs> they, I pitched a book of memoir essays that were all centred on illness um, and different illnesses that I'd had. And um, so I was getting pressure to write that from people and I even went away and like went to Veruna and was doing all of that. And then halfway through writing it, I was just like, oh, something's off. And then I just realized that I was just really miserable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I was just like, why isn't this working? And I was just like, hated it so much. Aww. I was just like, oh, like it's, I think it's just wasn't the right book for me to write at that time. And mm-hmm. I didn't feel like writing it. I didn't feel driven to write it. So I was just like, look, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> And so I just stopped. It's hard in a creative career, though, because... I was going to say, saying no is something yeah. that women particularly struggle yeah. with in... And Hufflepuffs. <laughs> yeah. As a Hufflepuff myself. <laughs> it's tricky. Yeah, well, it's, you think, it's what you think people want of you and what you think you should want for yourself. And if that doesn't always yeah. match up, it can be really confronting to realise that. I know. I was just watching this interview with Lady Gaga. <laughs> With all this A Star Is Born press and she was just saying like, you know, as someone who has anxiety and depression, like the most empowering thing I've learned is just to say no Mm. to things that you legitimately like don't want to do. And it makes such a difference. But you have Um, to get quiet that self-talk that if you say no to one thing, you're never going to get asked to do another thing again. I know. It's really, really tricky. And I've only really gotten better at doing it in like the last year or so, I Mm. think. Also the guilt. And I think that was something that you were just touching on, like that you're going to let people, people down. down that you're like there's mm. a certain element that's expected of you and yeah. if you don't fulfill that for people then you're not good enough like mm-hmm. yes you're there's, failing well, in saying no it's totally the guilt and um and what we were saying before about you know if I don't take this opportunity there might not be another one but you know at at what expense like you could just do everything and totally burn out and then you just you're not able to do anything. <laughs> yeah, you're not doing anything well because you spread too thin. Yeah, mm, which well, is what I was doing like every year. What is so good though is that the risk has clearly paid off for you. So you're like the poster <laughs> child for saying no. Just say no to things you don't want to do. Just say no. <laughs> Just say no. <laughs> because then you've gone on to like write Homecoming Queens and yeah. star in it. Um, did you want to talk a little about that, which is available to watch on SBS oh, On yeah. Demand? I think it's still on SBS On Demand. Yes, it is. Oh, okay, good. So Homecoming Queens, I think we started developing it maybe about four years or so ago. Did it at all come out of the stuff that you were writing for that manuscript with the like I think the it, memoir in terms of story. Michelle's story um, for her character when I was writing Michelle I was like I think a lot a big part of it was that I think when I was writing Michelle's character definitely and just those those quite universal feelings when you're someone who has a chronic illness and feeling quite lonely and isolated but it started because Chloe, Reeson and I, we actually, we knew of each other from the Brisbane writing scene, but we actually became friends after Chloe was diagnosed with breast cancer and I went to go visit them in the hospital. And we just became friends sort of bonding over that shared experience of being a young person who's chronically ill Mm. and just going to parties and things like that where we'd leave quite early and just commiserate with each other about sort of how disconnected you feel from other people 
who are having a great time and can be quite reckless with their bodies and things like that. And so I think we just sort of would jokingly have chats in their car and just say, oh, it'd be, it'd be great to see a show about something like this because it's like a niche that hasn't really been filled and you don't see stories like that on screen very often. And we both really enjoyed web series like Broad City um, before it became a show and High Maintenance and stuff like that. So very early on, we took it to Corey Chen, who I've worked with from like the start of my screen career. We've worked together for about almost eight years now. And so she was really on board with the idea from the start. And then from there, we started fleshing out the characters and the world and what their stories and friendship might look like. And then there were a lot of development stages and we got supported uh, by Screen Queensland and Film Victoria to sort of have writer's rooms. So we got really awesome people um, like Marie Cardi and Amanda Higgs, who was our executive producer, and she made Secret Life of Us, and some great people from Matchbox Pictures who sort of came and mentored us as well. And that led to um, SBS, and they were really keen to have it as their first online commissioned piece for SBS On Demand because they're trying to make more of their own content. And then it got a screening on Viceland as well, which was really cool. The web series was like a format that you liked and that you, you know, had enjoyed before. Was it also partly like a resources fit for, you know, what was feasible and what made sense for you as, as emerging creators? Yeah, totally. It was um it was very much a stepping stone, especially for Corey and I's collaborative relationship because we've been working together for so long. And when you're a new and sort of emerging filmmaker in Australia, people are quite reluctant to hire you mm. or, you know, or sometimes give you funding because you really need a proof of concept. So initially we wanted to make Homecoming Queens, you know, the dream was to make it like a long form show for TV. And we just wanted to show that, yeah, like we can do it. We can be in control of this story and tell it well. Mm. And so a web series was just a logical way of, of doing that because it was such it's such a highly shareable form. You can dip in and out of it when you can. It costs relatively little. And, yeah, so it just made sense for us at the time. Yeah. I feel like in the finished product it feels like the natural fit for form and content as well. Like it yeah, feels like the way you're telling it. And those little short episodic bursts, it is kind of that familiar feeling of like, a kind of aimless summer where you are drifting around and things yeah, happen cool. and they're not and they're kind of disconnected but all connected as well. Oh, that's really good. And something that we were really we really pushed was that we wanted each episode to be varied in length mm. depending on how long the story of that episode needed to be told. So some of them are like 7 minutes and some of them are 12 minutes. Mm. Um so yeah, it's good that you got that feeling. And then you went on to write for the theater. What is how the does theater. that feel? The theater. <laughs> The theatre's great. It's really interesting because I tend to hop from one medium to another a lot. And I think that's because I just love all of them. <laughs> like it's hard for me to choose. And I think that when you, you start with the story and then you look at what medium's the best to tell it in, theatre's really cool because the writer is really king or queen. Whereas when you're a screenwriter and you're a writer for hire, you really sort of just hand over the script and then you're done. Like mm. beyond that, you have no control really. Whereas I was so shocked to find that when I wrote my play, you know, the actors would sort of do improvisation um, on the floor and then they'd come back to me at the end of the day and be like, oh, we want to change these three words of dialogue. Is that okay? And I'm just like, please. <laughs> like, why are you asking me? And they were like, yeah, just checking. You have to make sure that you're happy and it aligns with your view of the character. And I'm just like, I don't care. <laughs> 
please like make it your own. Like mm. I'm very happy for you guys to just do or you know, explore the character and do what makes you feel comfortable in, in the show. Um, so it was pretty amazing <laughs> to get that level of consultation, which I hadn't experienced before. So I'm writing a couple of other new shows as well because I think I, I definitely want to keep doing theatre. So that was future. your first play, Single Asian Female, yeah, so which has had an amazing like longevity to it. I saw that it's recently been um, announced that it's coming back again to Queensland to show again in Queensland yes. next year. Yeah. It, I was we were hoping that it would be in Melbourne next year, but mm. then there was some sort of programming complications. So fingers crossed for 2020. <laughs> um so um it yeah started in Brisbane, then went to Belvoir in Sydney, and then it's going back to La Boite um next year, yeah. which is amazing. Yeah. Has that everything that I've seen all the reception has been so positive and so enthusiastic. And I think of what you said about, you know, being when you read Jane Eyre and you connected with it I've seen a lot of people a lot of like young Asian Australian women saying how incredible their connection to single Asian female has been what does it feel like for you being on the other side of that oh my god it's so wild it's really really flattering and humbling because we had um in the in the Sydney series after every show we just get throngs of young Asian women coming and just taking photos on stage and they like hadn't met each other they were just all strangers but they all had bonded over the course of the show and just really felt connected to it so just to I don't know it just feels so bizarre to think of yourself in that way I guess but that's always what I sort of set out to do so I just feel really happy that it's having that effect on people and yeah I hope it just sort of continues to snowball from there and more people get to see it Mm. yeah well quite a lot of your work has these personal elements and I found it really interesting before when we were talking about Homecoming Queens and you talk about Michelle, the character, but obviously when you've got a character who shares your name and that you play, people are going to conflate that. They're already going to be conflating whatever character you write with you, but you're, you're inviting that to some degree. And then there's these really personal you know, health things that you're writing about. How blurry does that line become and how do you deal with that when people are kind of trying to push you into being the character? Yeah, that was something that I was not sure how I would deal with when we were making the show. Mm. But I think at some point I was chatting to Cory, the director, about it and she was saying, like, you need to put your writer's hat down and then put your actor's hat on and just that's the that's where the line is drawn. Mm, like, it mm. then is just a character and a performance, which was really difficult because when we, st- when we were in pre-production, I was still having to do amendments to the scripts as I was learning the lines. So I was just like, this is a bit of a mindfuck. Mm. But I think I was lucky because I got a bit of practice with my brother's show, The Family Law. <laughs> so there was already, like, a weird version of me out there. <laughs> um, luckily, that was just, like, a kid version of me. So I get off pretty lucky. Like, all I do is, like, pick my nose and fart and stuff, <laughs> which as is not so different. now, I was going to say. <laughs> Not so different. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I did worry because the character of Michelle is quite different to me. Like, she's she's quite a selfish person and she she becomes distanced from the character of Chloe because of Chloe's illness, whereas in reality, Chloe and I actually became friends, like, through their illness and Mm. sort of working through all of that. So I did worry that people would have a negative view of the character and then consequently me. Um, But then I figured, like, you know, I think audiences are intelligent enough to realise that that's just an element of truth, like, Mm. to things, like, that are autobiographical in bracket, in 
squiggles. <laughs> Quotation, Quotation marks? Quotations. Yeah, air quotes. That was the one I was searching for. Squiggles. <laughs> so cute. I love it. I am a writer. <laughs> yeah, so I've... I would. I came. I was pretty happy with it. Like by the end of it, I was made my peace with any interpretations that people would have about me. Mm. Yeah. And you were saying that obviously you wore the actor's hat for a little while as well as the writer's hat. Do you want to perform like that again? Do you want to act more? Yeah, definitely. I actually, when I was younger, wanted to be an actor, but I sort of shelved it quite quickly because I knew that I wouldn't get much work. And that the work I did get would be quite stereotyped mm. and limited. And I did. There was a period during uni where I was auditioning for things, and I'd just get roles like the nurse who would be the butt of the joke because all of her speech was double entendres because she couldn't speak English properly. Oh, okay. And so I was just like, oh, I can't be bothered. Like I'll just make my own work, which was sort of. So you've actually like created this part yeah. for yourself, <laughs> basically. Yeah. So we like to ask our guests to recommend something creative by a woman or non-binary person that they've been really getting into recently. And so, Michelle, do you have anything that you wanted to shout out to today? Yes, I have two things. So the first thing is an album that I have been listening to a lot. It's Odette's new album. I think Enlighten she, us. She, I think she won Triple J on Earth a couple of years ago, but she's super young. I think she's still under 20 or just turned 20. She's got this incredible voice that is so mature and emotionally deep and she had this incredible single called watch me read you and i heard it on the radio and like you know these days triple j can be a bit hit and miss Mm -hmm. with their content Mm -hmm. and i was just like blown away because i was like this is such this she is an incredible musician and like an incredible talent and so she released an album um i think it's called to a stranger um a couple of months ago it's her debut so i've been listening to that my second choice is Alice Pung's new collection of selected writings that Black Ink has put out, and it's called Close to Home, um, and I'm going to see Alice for dinner tonight. Um, she's just had a second baby, so I'm very excited. How old's the baby? You get baby hugs. I think it's like a month old. <laughs> so cute. Yeah, she's she makes really cute babies. Yes, yeah. she does. Yeah. Little Leo. Little Leo. He, the, her, her new baby, Daniel, looks a lot like Leo. <laughs> like, so cute. Yeah. Speaking of cuddle. Alice, actually, and you mentioned before that she kind of gave you your first writing op in Growing Up Asian in Australia, but you're also adapting her YA book, Lorinda, for yeah, feature film. That's which is incredibly wild. exciting. Yeah, which is so crazy because I'm like, you, this has all come full circle. Mm. Like, you sort of kickstarted my career and now I'm here and now we're friends. <laughs> And it's just so bizarre in a very cool way. Um, So I've just finished a first draft and a polish of that first draft. Um, We got Screen Australia funding to to write the script. And so we're putting in for more funding with this current draft to write a second draft. Um, yeah, so filmmaking is such a long process. (laughs) I don't think people will realise that. No. Someone writes something... When yeah. something gets optioned, people are like, great, when can I buy tickets? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, I know. No. So this has already been happening for maybe a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And then we'll see if we're lucky enough to get funding to write the second draft and see where it goes. Fingers crossed. Yeah, but that. Alice has been so amazing throughout of it. She's just like, this is totally your like script, so just change whatever you like. And um, I'm 
on call if you have any questions and stuff. Even with it. I baby. know. <laughs> no. I'm like, what are you doing? Have some rest. She's Wonder Woman. She really is. I'm just like, how do you have the energy? Thank you so much for coming in and joining us. Me. It's been a long time coming. Yay, we yeah. did it. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Michelle. Oh, thanks so much for having me, guys. Squiggles. Oh, my God. I feel like this is like a kid's <laughs> podcast. Like, squiggles. squiggles. Sign out. Mr. Squiggles. But th- yes, no, thank you so much for coming in, Michelle. It's Yay. been a delight to finally chat with you. Yay. Thanks so much for having me. Good luck with everything. Thank on you. On the up and up. Yay. Yay. Thank you. Created by women and for anyone who wants to listen. Sisteria is supported by City of Melbourne in partnership with the Melbourne Library Service. Sisteria is produced by Stephanie Van Schilt and me, Jessica Lucchiano. For links to everything we've discussed, check out our website, sisteriapodcast.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at SisteriaPod. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And if you love what we do, we'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes too. Our amazing theme music is by Rainbow Chan. The song is called Last and is available on her new record, Spacings. Sisteria is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and to the elders of the lands this podcast reaches. We hope you tune in again soon.